So, last week uh, we started covering the Covenant of Grace. Uh, I'm, excuse me, the Covenant of Works. I'm getting ahead of myself. I apologize. <laughs> we started covering the Covenant of Works. Um, and uh, so tonight we're just going to kind of continue looking at what our confession says about the fall and sin and its punishment. And uh, some of this may sound somewhat like a repeat because I really kind of did an overview of the whole subject last week. Um, but whereas I was trying to establish last week that we have, we actually have a covenant of works, um, that it is indeed a real and biblical covenant, um, tonight I really just want to look more about what actually happened when it was broken. Um, there is one thing I need to address before we get to that subject. He does. Yeah, he does. Um, before I get into the stuff on the Covenant of Works tonight, I do have one thing I need to address. Uh, one of the proof texts that I used last week to show that the covenant of works is a biblical covenant was Hosea 6-7. After I finished teaching that lesson, it was brought to my attention that this verse is translated somewhat differently depending on which English translation you use. I tend to read from the ESV and was reading from the ESV last week, which renders it this way, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant, there they dealt faithlessly with me. <clears throat> However, the King James, uh, which is what I'm about to read, also the Geneva, also the New King James renders it something like this. But they, like men, have transgressed the covenant. Um, there have they dealt treacherously against me. So, of course, the concern would be whether modern translations have read into the text their own presuppositions and were changing the text and all of those things that we addressed when we uh, so, so long ago had our lesson on um, King James onlyism and things of that nature. Um, I don't think we need to worry about uh, which translation of the Hebrew we take in this case, um, though I do favor the one that renders it like Adam, um, and I would be happy to discuss it later if you want to. Um, but I, I think the import is the same. Uh, I think you get the same meaning either way. Um, it is still a reference to the covenant of works, which all men have transgressed in our covenant head, Adam, and by our own sinful rebellion as well. Um, Israel, like Adam, like mankind in general, broke covenant with God. And that's the point of the verse. So... Um, and just felt like I needed to address that after that was brought to my attention because that was something um, I will admit I overlooked when I was uh, writing the lesson last week. So with all that being said, now let's move into our lesson tonight. <clears throat> so uh, I'm going to go ahead and read our sections that I'm hoping to get covered tonight. Uh, we are in chapter 6. And my hope is we're actually going to get through three sections tonight, which would probably be a record if we actually get through it. Um, so starting in section one, it says, God created humanity upright and perfect, 
He gave them a righteous law that would have led to life if they had kept it, but threatened death if they broke it. Yet they did not remain for long in this position of honor. Satan used the craftiness of the serpent to seduce Eve, who then seduced Adam. Adam acted without any outside compulsion and deliberately transgressed the law of their creation and the command given to them by eating the forbidden fruit. God was pleased in keeping with his wise and holy counsel to permit this act because he had purposed to direct it for his own glory. By this sin, our first parents fell from their original righteousness and communion with God. We fell in them, and through this, death came upon all. All became dead in sin and completely defiled in all the capabilities and parts of soul and body. By God's appointment, they were the root and the representatives of the whole human race. Because of this, the guilt of their sin was accounted and their corrupt nature passed on to all their offspring who descended from them by ordinary procreation. Their descendants are now conceived in sin and are by nature children of wrath, the servants of sin and partakers of death and all other miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus sets them free. Quite a bit. So it starts off, God created humanity upright and perfect. So as we discussed last week, this does not mean he created humanity with a positive righteousness. We do have what's called, or at that point we had, what's called original righteousness, but that's not positive righteousness. It is more that we were in a probationary, if I can get the word out, sorry, probationary and neutral position. We were given all the necessary tools to keep the commandments of God and the covenant which he gave to Adam and thereby secure eternal life if he had kept it. And so uh, for this, I want us to turn to Genesis chapter 1. And we are looking first at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, and then we will skip down to verse 31. So it's Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and then skip down to verse 31. (coughs) Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And skip down to 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So, in that passage we see man's original, upright perfection and that he was created in God's image, which is necessarily good. We see it in the mission God gave to man to take dominion and fill the world with his images. So, man made in God's image, that's good, supposed to act as... uh, Maybe you would say second in command on earth or something like that. 
um, basically given a, a mission to rule the earth um, in the same way God rules all of creation. Um, and then finally we see it explicitly stated at the very end in verse 31 that God saw that everything he made was very good. So that would include even humanity. <coughs> All right. So then uh, one more verse on this. Ecclesiastes 729. This kind of uh, really summarizes the entire chapter in the confession. Really, this one verse. Um, It says, See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. Alright, so that's that's uh, that little portion. Uh, do we have any questions or discussion on any of that? Alright, if not, the uh, confession goes on to say, He gave them a righteous law that would have led to life if they had kept it, but threatened death if they broke it. This is what we know as the moral law as summarized in the Ten Commandments. This law is necessary to our creation. We understand it inherently because we are made in the image of the one from whose character it flows. Scripture declares that we have the work of the law written in our hearts. That's Romans 2.15. And just because we have broken the covenant of works and cannot thereby obtain eternal life does not mean we are absolved from all responsibility to keep that law. We cannot keep it for eternal life, but uh, in point of fact, that's one of the many benefits of regeneration, that we become new creatures in Christ who have the Holy Spirit to help us perform the works that are prepared beforehand by the Father that we should walk in them. Also, I told you we're never getting away from this doctrine of the Trinity, in case you didn't catch that just now. Um, all right. In addition to the righteous law that was given, that is inherent to our creation, there was a positive ordinance that Adam and Eve should not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what you have in the covenant of works. Necessary or natural law. And then you have a positive ordinance, which is not necessary to our creation, but it was part of that covenant. And then the confession goes on to say, Yet they did not remain for long in this position of honor. Satan used the craftiness of the serpent to seduce Eve, who then seduced Adam. Adam acted without any outside compulsion and deliberately transgressed the law of their creation and the command given to them by eating the forbidden fruit. So a couple things to notice here uh, is that nobody forced Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit. Satan seduced Eve into eating, but he did not force her into eating. And neither did God, in his sovereign omnipotence, force Adam and Eve 
to eat of the fruit. And that brings us to the next point, which is that Eve was fooled by the serpent when she ate, but Adam was not. He consciously made the decision to rebel against God's righteous rule and transgress the covenant. Um, so maybe even less so than Eve, he was without excuse because she really was deceived, but he was not. Um, and for this, let's look at First uh, Timothy chapter two. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 2, and it will be verses 11 through 15. Alright, First Timothy 2... 11 through 15, it says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived. But the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Um, Alright, any thoughts or questions or anything on that before we go on? Alright. Well, the confession then continues, God was pleased in keeping with His wise and holy counsel to permit this act because He had purposed to direct it for His own glory. Um, we just finished the chapter on providence. So I'm not going to go into exhaustive detail on this point because I think we sufficiently covered it last chapter. Except to say this again, the broken covenant of works is the pretext and the context of the covenant of grace. By Adam's having fallen into sin, the second Adam had to come and keep this covenant, this covenant of works, for us by means of the covenant of grace or else we would all be hopelessly uh, lost and would eventually perish. Alright, the confession continues. By this sin, our first parents fell from their original righteousness and communion with God. Again, I think we saw this last week when we read Genesis 2-3 through where Adam and Eve were cursed and thrown out of the garden. So I'm not going to read that big long passage again because we already went over it, but... Um, I think it's pretty apparent there. Uh, then it says, we, felt we fell in them, and through this death came upon all. All became dead in sin and completely defiled in all the capabilities and parts of soul and body. So we're going to look at several passages on this point. Um, so first let's look at Romans 3. <coughs> Thank you. 
We're going to look at Romans uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 23. Romans 3, verses 9 through 23. Alright, it says, What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one, their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive, the venom of asps is under their lips, Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Not very flattering way to describe us, is it? Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Alright, and then we also read this larger passage last week, but I'll go ahead and read again Romans 5, verse 12. Um, We actually read all the way through the end of the chapter last week, but just real quick. um, It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So you see the progression there. Sin came into the world through the sin of the one man, Adam. But then by the end of the verse, all have sinned. See that? Um, Alright, then Titus chapter 1. And uh, this is addressing um, the all that are dead in sin, are that they are completely defiled in all the capabilities of parts and parts of body and soul. So Titus 1 verse uh, 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. And that, by the way, is our default state defiled and unbelieving. Uh, But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. We also see there that um, the law is still relevant to us even after salvation. Um, Because how you know these people are not of God, well, they don't do any good works. 
they're unfit for any good work is what it actually says. Um, all right, and then uh, Genesis 6. <clears throat> Flip back to the beginning of your Bible. Genesis 6. And this is going to be verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. And then finally, Jeremiah uh, chapter 17 Verse 9. So uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 9. And uh, anytime somebody tells you to follow your heart, this is the verse you give them, okay? It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? All right, any uh, thoughts or conversation on any of that? Y'all are quiet. We may actually get further than uh, than I thought we would. <laughs> All right, it, the confession continues. By God's appointment, they were the root and the representatives of the whole human race. Because of this, the guilt of their sin was accounted and their corrupt nature passed on to all their offspring who descended from them by ordinary procreation. So this may seem unfair in a sense because we did not choose Adam as our representative, did we? Why is it that this person whom we did not choose can have sin imputed to us? Well, I think the obvious reason is that According to the flesh, anyway, he's our father, all of us. And um, fathers tend to produce children who are like them. Um, so sinners would produce sinners. Um, just to, I mean, it's a really logical thing to say. Um, I think that's the most obvious reason. Uh, there's also this reason. Um, and I'll quote R.C. Sproul on this. He says, We can be confident that God selected him, that's Adam, as the one who would represent us perfectly. We therefore cannot say that Adam misrepresented us. As God's perfectly selected representative, Adam represented us flawlessly. End quote. So in other words, any of Adam's children would have done the same thing Adam did. But the most important reason not to fall into this trap of saying that this is not fair is that it would also mean Christ's federal headship by which we are saved is also unfair because God elects those who are in Christ. 
In fact, that's what it means to be elected. Elected in Christ. Um, Alright, so for this, uh, now we are going to go back to Romans 5 and read more of that passage. Um, and we'll return to another passage we had last week as well. Romans 5, starting in verse 12 first. We'll read through 19. So Romans 5, 12 through 19. Alright, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned for indeed, uh, for sin indeed, was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one uh, trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So if we're going to say Adam can't be our federal head, we cannot be consistent and say, but Jesus can. Uh, all right, First Corinthians fifteen. Just two verses here. First uh, Corinthians fifteen, verses twenty-one and twenty-two. All right. For as by man, Adam, came death. By man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So this concept of uh, covenants and federal headship within those contexts, pretty important. Um, pretty central to the gospel. Any thoughts before we move on? All right, the confession goes on to say their descendants are now conceived in sin and are by nature children of wrath, the servants of sin, and partakers of death and all other miseries, spiritual, temporal, and eternal, unless the Lord Jesus sets them free. So again, we have several passages on this one. Uh, 
First, let's start with Psalm 51. Verses 1 through 5. So Psalm 51, verses 1 through 5. And this is um, David's making a plea for forgiveness. Um, he is confessing his sin. Um, but at the very end of the passage we're going to look at, he makes a relevant comment for what we're talking about. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. (coughs) So, David knew that from the moment of conception he was a sinner. But he didn't try to blame Adam for him being a sinner. Because what preceded everything in verse 5 was, I know my sin, I know my transgressions, it's a confession of what I did, I did, not what Adam did. But at the same time, David understood there's something about my nature that's just messed up. And it's been this way all along. All right, uh, another one. John chapter 8. And this is going to be a snippet of one of my favorite conversations in Scripture. Um, If you get a chance, just go read the conversation that Jesus is having here um, with the Jewish leaders. But we're just going to look at part of it for the sake of time. Uh, it'll be John 8, 39 through 47. So John 8, 39 through 47. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Again, because fathers produce offspring that is like them. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We are not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So he just hit right at the heart of it there. You are of your father, the devil, And your will, talking about your core of who you are, your will is to do your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now that didn't just apply to those Jews. Okay? Apart from Christ's saving work, that applies to every single descendant of Adam. It's really easy to read this and see the people that were interacting and go, yeah, man, they were awful. Truth be told, apart from God's grace, we would be just as bad, if not worse. So, all right. uh, Next passage is Ephesians chapter 2. You got that right. We got to go to Ephesians at some point. (laughs) So this will be Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. All right, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air. Well, that sounds very similar to what we just read. Following the devil. Desiring to do the works of the devil. But he's not, he's not talking about Jews here. He's talking primarily about Gentiles. That's who he's talking to. So that's why I can say confidently, that wasn't just the Jews then. Um, that was also Gentiles. So following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All-encompassing. All right, uh, Romans chapter 6. Let's read verses 19 and 20. Yeah, 19 and 20. It says, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For... When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. I went one verse more than I said I would, but that's okay. It needed to be. (laughs) Um, All right, Hebrews chapter 2.
And this will be uh, verses 14 and 15. So Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That's what Christ did. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 10. Well, we'll back up and start with 9. 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned uh, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. That, of course, saying Jesus does deliver us. That's, that's how that section ended. Unless the Lord Jesus sets them free. Alright. Um, let me see. We might can finish this. Let's go ahead and see if we can finish this chapter. I think we can real quick. Alright, section 4 says, All actual transgressions arise from this first corruption. So, going back to what what was said by David in Psalm 51. He understood in sin I was conceived, and then what followed was my own fault. But I was acting according to my nature. Like, he understood that in Psalm 51. Um, Also... James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 says but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death and then um Confession also cites Matthew 15, 19, which says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. Alright, and then the confession goes on to say, By it we are thoroughly biased against and disabled and antagonistic toward all that is good, and we are completely inclined toward all that is evil. Um, and then confession cites Romans 8, 7, which says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And then Colossians 1, 21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Alright, so that's... We've got one more section. Any other thoughts or concerns so far. No. Alright. Alright, so the confession finishes up this way. It says, During this life, 
This corruption of nature remains in those who are regenerated. Uh, Romans 7. We'll just actually look at a, that broader passage because I think that needs to be more than just what the confession cites. Romans 7. start with verse 14. Romans 7, starting in verse 14. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And then Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And then uh, 1 John 1.8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Alright. And then we the confession... In this chapter anyway, it finishes up and it says, Even though it is pardoned, that is our sin is pardoned, and put to death through Christ, yet both this corruption of nature and all actions arising from it are truly and actually sin. In other words, we cannot go, Well, it's not my fault. It's according to my nature. It's Adam's fault. I can't be held responsible for this. Um, No, we do have corruption of nature, but... Our actions are our actions. We're choosing to do this. Um, I like the way Jason has put it before. We may choose to do it because our chooser's broken. But nevertheless, we did choose it. Nobody made us do it. Okay? And then um, on this, Galatians 5:17, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. But these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Alright, any thoughts or concerns on any of that? It was Galatians 5.17. Um, Alright, 
if nothing else on that, uh, that was an entire chapter in, in one lesson, and that's got to be some kind of record. So. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Okay. And it's actually a pretty good precursor because yeah. 6 and 7 go together because chapter 7 is going to be on the covenants. And so this was essentially covering the covenant of works and the fallout from that. So really they, they, they go together, these two chapters do. So we'll, uh, we'll intend to start chapter 7, one of my favorite chapters, um, next week. Let's, uh, let's close with a prayer. Father, we thank you again uh, for your word and pray that you would help us to think upon these things and to um, really understand our fallen condition and how it is tied to the federal headship of Adam, but also our own responsibility and actions. Um, even more so, we pray that you would help us to understand how Jesus remedies this horrible situation we're in because we have broken that covenant and without him we're hopeless we thank you that in your mercy and in your grace you did not leave us in that hopeless condition but instead you chose to send your son to fulfill the demands of your just law on our behalf and that means positively and to receive the punishment we deserve. So help us as saved people in the covenant of grace. Help us to live in such a way that we glorify your name by doing the good works you've prepared beforehand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.